Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy.
Freedom House. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Man, give it up for our worship team again. Aren't they awesome? Man, just amazing. I love Christmas music. How many people love Christmas music? I love Christmas music. You know, it's the best worship music in the world, isn't it? It is the best worship music in the world because it's talking about what really we should be singing about and worshiping God for all the time. Amen? Amen. Well, also, hey, give it up for your campus pastors. Don't you guys have the greatest campus pastors ever? Man, they're just amazing, amazing. It's so great to be here with you today. My name's Olin Carter. I serve on our teaching team. Um, If you're new here, something that's unique about our church is that our pastors have this vision that everything is to be done as a team. And so we have a live communicator bringing God's word at all of our campuses every single week, every single service, which I just think is amazing. Will you guys give some honor to our senior pastors, Troy and Penny? Man, they are amazing, and I just love that vision that we get to do this together. And before we get into God's Word today, I just want to greet our online campus. If, if you didn't know that, we have folks joining us right now from all around the world. And we have people right now from Vermont, from Pennsylvania, Georgia, North Carolina, Virginia, New Jersey, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Honduras. So give it up for them. Man, welcome. We're so glad you're with us today. That is awesome. We love our online campus. And so we are starting off this new series called Arrival. Everybody say Arrival. 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 Man, what a time to celebrate. What a time to celebrate. I want to just kick it off right in God's Word today. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 1, and we're going to read some scriptures today about the arrival, but we're going to unpack the arrival. What does this mean, and what should it mean in our daily lives? John chapter 1, we're going to start reading in verse 14. It says, and the word, the word is Jesus, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness... We have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He, Jesus, has made him known. He has made him known. 
You know, the Christmas story might feel familiar to us. Many of us, if we've grown up in this country, um, we're a, as, as a society, you could say we're a Christian country, although I wouldn't call us that anymore. But most of us grew up, even if we didn't grow up in church, maybe you have never been to church, most of us grew up hearing about the Christmas story. We go to the mall, we, we go out at Christmas time, and we, Merry Christmas. We've, we've seen it on television. I mean, even Charlie Brown. I mean, everything, right? And our country is going to tell you about Jesus. And so this story about this little baby that came might, might feel familiar to us, but I believe it's actually the most unreasonable story ever told. Of all the miracles in the Bible, it has to be the greatest and it has to be the hardest to comprehend. I mean, how do you wrap your brain around God becoming flesh? God became flesh. God, God in heaven, the creator, became fully human. How do you understand that? Like, how do you wrap your brain around that? It's not reasonable. I mean, if, if, if the disciples, if we wanted as Christians to make up a story, it wouldn't have been this one. It's totally unreasonable to say that God came down in human flesh. And this truth is essential to being a Christian. It's a foundational truth. And we call this truth the incarnation. That word incarnation literally means in flesh. In flesh. One place I looked it up said enfleshment. It is the divine becoming flesh. Unbelievable. Unreasonable. The same Apostle John that wrote the Gospel of John, that wrote the, the passage that we just read, he also wrote in the book of 1 John 4.2 that this is the litmus test for you to be a Christian. If you're going to be a follower of God, if you're going to be a disciple, this is the litmus test. Listen to what he says. He says, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come what? In the flesh is from God, is from God. And so this is so important. This unreasonable truth, it defines our faith. Our lives as Christians should be lived as a response to this unreasonable truth. But I believe there are three unreasonable truths that the Bible poses to us, and I believe they all work together, and they form the foundation, the basis of our faith. The first one is the one we're talking about today, the incarnation. God became flesh and dwelt among us. The second is called the crucifixion. Jesus, God in the flesh, died for you. He didn't die for good people. He didn't die for some people. He died for you. He died for everyone, the crucifixion. The third truth is the resurrection. Jesus, fully God, fully man, was raised from the dead. So he came, God came in the flesh. Jesus, this God-man, God in the flesh, died. He died for you. And then the resurrection, Jesus, fully God, fully man, was raised up from the dead. And this is so important to understand because the incarnation is what makes the crucifixion sufficient. See, without the incarnation, the crucifixion wouldn't mean a whole lot. Because if Jesus was just a man, then he was a sinner just like you and me. If Jesus was just a man, when you put his blood on the scale and our sin on the other side, it wouldn't be enough. But because he is fully God, 
it makes the crucifixion more than enough. It makes the crucifixion sufficient. The incarnation is what makes the crucifixion sufficient. And the resurrection is what makes the crucifixion effective. Because Jesus died for you, but he didn't stay dead. And we have an opportunity today to die. To die to our sins. To die to our past. To die to who we were, but not to stay dead. To be raised to new life. Just like Jesus did. The Bible says he's the firstborn among many brothers. And so we have to understand these truths. And the message today, if you're taking notes and you wanted to give this a title, the title of this message is An Unreasonable Story. An Unreasonable Story. The story of the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection is unreasonably good. It's unreasonably powerful. It is a story about an unreasonable God that loves you an unreasonable amount. It's an unreasonable story. But too often, we hear this unreasonable story and we live lives that are far too reasonable. The response in our heart to this unreasonable love it should be an unreasonable response. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13. Paul says, if we are out of our mind, and sometimes when you come to church, we look a little crazy, right? Sometimes if you're new here, you might see us jumping around and singing and crying and just spitting and just, you know, sweating and raising our hands and doing all this stuff. You might think these people are a little nuts. Like, what is going on here? And Paul, back to the time of Jesus, Paul says, if we're out of our mind, as some say. Listen, some going to say. If we're worshiping God right, some people might look at us and go, these people are crazy. They get a little worked up, right? <laughs> they get a little worked up about this Jesus thing. Paul says, if we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are right in our mind, it is for you. Now, this is the key, verse 14. For Christ's love compels us. Christ's love controls us. Christ's love, it, it triggers a response in us. When you get a revelation of Christ's love, it does something in you that might make you look a little bit crazy. Because his love is so great. And he says so for Christ's love compels us because, why? Because we are convinced that one died for all. And therefore all died. And he died for all, why? That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. The NEB translation says it like this, and I love this. Christ's love leaves us no choice. When I get a revelation of Christ's love, I don't have a choice. Why do you do what you do? I don't have a choice. I didn't wake up one morning and go, I want to do all this stuff. I didn't wake up one day and just, I want to love everybody. I didn't wake up one day and say, I want to be generous. I didn't, I didn't wake up one day, I'm going to go on the missions field. I didn't happen. Man, just days pass in my life and I'm, I encounter these opportunities and because of the love of God in my heart, I don't have a choice. I'm just filled with love. I'm just filled with God, and it makes me respond in unreasonable ways. And so when people see me, when people see you, and they go, man, that's a little crazy. Sorry, I don't have a choice. 
I don't have a choice because Christ's love controls me. Christ's love compels me. I don't have a choice. It's not me doing it. It's Christ that lives in me. And maybe you're new here. You're wondering about all this. I was thinking about this the other day. Man, if somebody new came into our church and they just saw us worshiping God, and they thought, man, why, why are they so worked up about it? Like, how, what, is this, what is this thing I'm seeing? Have you ever heard somebody talk about the Grand Canyon before? Yeah, I've never been. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? Man, pretty good amount. It's a lot. I want to go. I want to go. I feel left out. Um, I want to go to the Grand Canyon. I've never been. But you know, every time I talk to someone who has been to the Grand Canyon, they always say the same thing. I say, man, I've seen pictures. It's good. And they say, no, 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 no. You have to see it in person. You have to see it in person. Like, seeing it on television, seeing it on your computer screen, like, that's not the, that's not, you don't get it. You don't understand until you, you're there and you look down in there and you see it. You're like, whoa, you're blown away, right? And see, for those of us who have seen, for those of us who have experienced the love of God, we come to church and we run up to the edge and we peer into God and we go, whoa, man, look, look. Man, you got to see it for yourself. I can't even understand. I can't even explain it to you. You just got to see it. You got to experience this love of God in your heart. It will blow you away. Yeah, I've heard about the Christmas story. No, 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 you don't understand. You don't understand. You got to see it. You got to experience it. You got to have it in you. And when we experience that and we come to church, we can't just stand there. preach on Sundays. Y'all have no idea how hard it is for me to stand over there and just hold it together. Man, my mascara would be everywhere. I mean, I just, man, I start thinking about Jesus. Man, David's up here and he starts singing. And man, it just gets all over me. I just want to cry. I just want to just, man, it just gets all over me. Because the love of Christ compels me. I have to try to keep it together. And if you're one of those that you just kind of, listen, there's more. Man, it gets gooder. As you, as you experience God, man, this thing is good. Christ's love is not reasonable. The Christmas story is not reasonable. Merriam-Webster defines reasonable as this. Not extreme. Or excessive, moderate, inexpensive. Think about the Christmas story. God sent the eternal, pre-existent, only begotten Son of God as a baby. Not to a king, not to an influential family, but to a lowly virgin girl in a small town of a conquered nation. That's not reasonable. <laughs> That's not reasonable. Everything about the story of Jesus' birth, life, ministry, death, and resurrection is unreasonable. 
It was excessive to send the Son of God because he was more than enough. Sending Jesus was not a moderate response to sin. God didn't say, man, this sin thing's bad. I think I'm going to slow it down a little bit, right? Jesus wasn't a speed hump to sin. You ever been at a security facility where they have those metal walls that come up? And like, you're not driving through that. I was just up in Washington this year for the Let Us Worship thing. Man, all around, there are these things, and they can just pop up for security. You're not getting through that. <laughs> you, could, you could drive your car 100 miles an hour. The car's going to lose, right? God didn't send a moderate response to sin. He sent his son to destroy sin forever, to humiliate sin, to destroy sin and death. It wasn't a moderate response, and it was anything but inexpensive, God paid every debt for every person for all time. And listen, if there had been more people, if there's going to be more people, and if we send even more, Jesus still be enough. His blood is enough to cover every sin we've ever done and will do. If there was a giant scale up here today, and in this side of the scale, you put every sin of every person ever, times two, times three, times ten, you put one drop of the blood of Jesus on this side, the scale breaks, destroys the scale forever. He's more than enough. So the love of Christ causes us, this is the key today, the love of Christ causes us to be unreasonable it causes us to be unreasonable Paul said it compels it controls it leaves no choice but verse 14 says this happens when when we are convinced when we are convinced in this context this Greek word what it means is to decide like a judge in a courtroom I've examined all the evidence I've heard all the witnesses and I'm going to make a final decree and there's too many of us, we've heard the story, but we're still on the fence. Well, I need a little more evidence. I, I need to talk a little more. Well, I'm not sure if I'm ready. Listen, you're never going to have the unreasonable. You're never going to live the unreasonable. You're never going to experience the unreasonable love of Christ controlling you, compelling you, propelling you into the world. You're never going to just want to jump and sing and dance and have this joy in your heart until like a judge in a courtroom, you make a final verdict for your life. That he's enough. I believe and I want it. And I'm convinced. Paul says I experienced this. Why? Because I am convinced. I'm not weighing my options anymore. I'm convinced. That's what unlocks this reason, unreasonable life. And so let's take a few moments and let's look at the unreasonable life of a disciple of Jesus Christ. What does this look like? An unreasonable life. Number one, I believe that we should be excessive in our love. We should be excessive in our love. Unreasonable love generates unreasonable love. Unreasonable means excessive. Going way over the top. Is your love reasonable? Do you love people in a reasonable way? Well, I helped them out. I did what was reasonable. I did what could be expected. Is that the way you love God? Is that the way you love People, the Christian life is not measured 
by how many rules you keep. It is measured by how much love you had for others. You want to be a mature Christian? You want to be spiritual? Love other people. That's what the Bible says. It's not measured in how much Bible you know, how much Greek you can read, how many college courses in theology you've taken. It's measured by your love walk. It's the love of Christ that compels us, not the law of God. It's the love of Christ. I heard this story recently. It was pretty encouraging. It's kind of sad, too. But it's about this woman. She, she, she married a man early, early in her life. And this guy, he was just he was kind of a jerk. He was very demanding. And so what he would do, you ladies, you're going to love this guy. He made her a list of things he wanted her to do for him every day. Cooking and cleaning and doing all these things. He made her a list. And so there were 25 things on the list. How many things? 25 things on the list. And so this man makes his wife a list, 25 things on the list. And then every day he would grade her on her list. And so it's Wednesday. Oh, you got a, you got a 19. It's Thursday. Oh, you got, a, you got a 22. You did good today. You got a 22. Listen, she was miserable. Miserable. But they stayed married for years and years and years until finally one day, one day this guy, he passed away. She wasn't that old. He, he died kind of young. And so he died. You know, she felt she's kind of torn, you know, and, and in a way she was happy and in a way she was sad. I'll let y'all guess which more she, you know, probably more one than the other. But then she met a man. She met this new man, and this new man had no list. This new man was all about the love. And this new man in her life, he would, he would call her in the middle of the day, and he would say, I just want you to know I love you. I was just thinking about you. He would leave her notes in the morning. Hey, I just wanted you to know I love you. He would do kind things for her. He would come home at night. Let me cook dinner. I just want you to know I love you. Hey, in fact, you know, let me take you out somewhere special because I just love you so much. He was just constantly telling her how much he loved her. One day, she's feeling so good, you know. She's enjoying this new relationship. And she stumbles upon in a drawer a piece of paper. She opens up the piece of paper and she starts to laugh to herself. It's one of the old lists. And as she read through the old list, she thought to herself, you know what's so funny? I do all these things now without being asked just because he loves me. You see, what motivates us as Christians to love others, what motivates us as believers to give, to serve, to do everything we do is because the Father has poured his love in us. And when you live this life every single day, God, man, God will wake you up in the morning. God, God will stop you in the middle of your day if you open your heart. Man, the Holy Spirit will speak to you all the time. Hey, hey, stop for a minute. I just want to tell you I love you. Man, I just want to tell you how much I care. Hey, son, daughter, man, you're so special to me. I just want to tell you how much I love you. The Holy Spirit will remind you constantly of God's love if we'll just listen. We struggle to love others when we are not 100% secure in God's love for us. When we get secure in his love, it generates a desire to love and to serve other people. Now let's look at 
1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, it says, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation. He took the place. He stood in our place to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. See, as a believer, what we have to understand is our love can be perfected. The more you know God, the more you're convinced of his love, the greater your love. It's a progression. It is reasonable to love people who treat you well. And if you're taking notes today, I want you to write these down. This is some things I want you to just think about this week. How we can have an unreasonable response to this unreasonable story, this unreasonable love of God. Think about it. It's reasonable to love people who treat you well. The world hated and rejected Jesus, but yet he still loved us. It's reasonable. It's not unreasonable to do that. That's normal. That's average. That's typical. It's reasonable to love people who treat you well. It is reasonable to help people who can help you. And so often we think about the good deeds, we think about the sacrifices we make, but it's always for people who can help us back. It's always for people in a position that we want to be in their good graces. But how much do we help? How much do we sacrifice for the people who can't ever do anything in return for us? It is reasonable to care about the problems of people close to you. But God came through his people to reach those who were not his people. And so often we get caught up in our groups. Man, everything in our country right now is trying to push us into groups of people. You're a woman, you're black, you're white, you're old, you're young, you're rich, you're poor. You're oppressed, you're an oppressor. Everything's about our groups, but Jesus came for everybody. He didn't come just to serve those who look like him. He came to serve everybody. That's why Jesus came. So we should be that way in our love. It should be unreasonable. It should be over the top. That's how as Christians we should love people. The second thing is we should be extreme in fighting our own sin. Now it's going to get quiet for a minute. Because people don't talk too much about holiness in church anymore. But holiness is a response to the truth of the incarnation. To the truth of the crucifixion. When you get a revelation of what God has done for you, the result will be holiness. It will be trying to live a life that looks like his. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Since we have these promises, because I'm so overwhelmed at these amazing promises of God, because he came for me, because he died for me, because he rose again for me, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Now I want to teach for just a minute. I know I've been fired up today. But I want to teach for a minute because this is something that really gets people off track. It takes people who don't understand the faith and it makes them think we're a bunch of legalistic, you know, just 
sticks in the mud, that we never have fun, we never, Christianity's boring, it's gonna take all my fun away out of my life. And then for Christians, we live this life of either it's all grace and we just, you know, whatever, God will just forgive me, or we get tied up in this legalism where it's like I'm trying to earn my approval with God. And all of that is wrong. All of that is wrong. The issue with a problem we acknowledge will always persist because every one of us knows, right, I'm a sinner. I've been saved, so now I'm the righteousness of God in Christ, but I know that sin nature's still around. He's still lurking in the shadows, and we get that, right? We know that, and so we know that on this side of heaven, I'm not going to reach perfect, right? The problem with understanding that is when we know a problem will always persist, we lose passion for the fight. We lose passion for the fight. When is the last time... As a believer, you got angry about your sin. Not everybody else's sin, because we're good at that. (laughs) Well, I get ticked off about other people's sin. But when is the last time you got angry about your sin? Passionate, fired up, because, man, I don't want to displease God. I shouldn't be living this way. Why did I do that? Our understanding of our own heart and our own motivations should grow deeper And we should become more sensitive to sin and to God. Right? As I grow closer to God, I should be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Right? And sin should become even darker and black. It should become something I don't even want to touch anymore. I should become so sensitive to that sin. But most people grow hardened to God's Spirit and insensitive to sin through justification and entitlement. Well, I've had a hard week. I just need whatever it is. We justify it. We feel entitled to it. And so we lose this passion. We should be passionately pursuing a life of holiness, a life without sin, taking the sins, the problems, the issues in our life, and putting them behind us. We should be fighting passionately as believers to do that. But here's the thing. This maturing life, it's not a witch hunt for sin. We don't go around all day just going, oh, I'm a sinner. I'm such a sinner. Oh, my gosh. Every time you pray, I've talked about this before. Some people say, well, you know, I just sin all the time. I just sin all day. Listen, stop. You don't need to sin that much. You don't need to sin every five minutes, okay? And every time you pray, it doesn't need to start out with, oh, God, just forgive me because I know I probably sinned a ton. I don't even realize it. Listen, living this life is not a witch hunt for sin, We're not going around examining our, oh gosh, I wonder what I did. I wonder if I just, you know, I think I love that person. I'm not sure. Maybe my motives weren't right. I mean, that's not the life. Is that freedom? Is that enjoyment? Is that the love of God controlling and compelling me? No, that'd be terrible. And so we don't live our lives as a witch hunt for sin. It's a deeper alignment with Jesus. And so think about it like this. How many of you ever played with Play-Doh before? Yeah, you all did. You did. You know you did. When I was a kid, you play with Play-Doh. Sometimes you have these molds, and you take the Play-Doh, and you push it into the mold, right? Right? And when you push it into the mold, the Play-Doh looks like the, unless you don't push hard enough. See, the problem is most of us, we're not pushing hard enough into Jesus. See, if I'm the Play-Doh and he's the mold, 
I don't have to go looking for sin. I just got to keep pressing myself into Jesus. And man, the, the stuff in me that ain't right will come off. All the excess, all the flesh, all the me will just fall away when I press into Jesus. Because he's the mold. The maturing life isn't becoming so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. I used to go on these mission trips all the time. We had a, a, a young lady on the team named Melissa. I love Melissa dearly. If she sees this, I love you, Melissa. Um, she was just, she is just super righteous. She's just one of the sweetest people you ever met. And we used to call her the Holy Spirit. Because if you wanted to do anything fun, Melissa was like, well, I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't know, right? She was always keeping us in line because us boys, we always wanted to get into trouble, right? But sometimes that's the view of us as Christians, that, that we're so heavenly minded that we just, oh, you know, like that's our life. Listen, as Christians, we can have fun. We can enjoy things. We can live a life of freedom. It, we can be fun and effective, by pressing in to Jesus. It means gaining a heavenly perspective of others. It doesn't mean we don't go to work. It doesn't mean we don't pay our bills. It doesn't mean we don't feed our kids. It means I get a heavenly perspective so that I love people and I see people the way God does. That's what it means. The maturing life isn't fixated on daily defeats, my sin. Listen, if you're living your Christian life focused on your sin, you're doing it wrong. That's not the focus. I admire the intention, and God loves you, and he loves your heart. But listen, that's not the thing that Paul said is going to produce this unreasonable response. That's not the thing that's going to have the love of Christ compel and control us. Man, if you just focus on your sin. That's not what he said. He said if you're convinced of the love of God, if you're convinced of Jesus and what he did for you, that's what creates that response is to the maturing life as a believer isn't fixated on daily defeats. It's anchored to inevitable victory. I wake up every day and I go, man, you know, I messed up yesterday. But thank God he loves me anyway. Thank God I don't mess up as much as I used to. Thank God he is sanctifying me. He is cleaning me up. Man, the things I used to struggle with, I don't struggle with anymore. I'm not there yet, but by God, I've left. And I can live with thankfulness, knowing that God is at work in me. And I'm focused not on my sin, but I'm focused on what he did in the victory. That it guarantees me at the end of my days, I'm going to win. I've already won because he won and he gives that victory to me. The last thing is that we should be extravagant. Extravagant in our generosity. We should be extravagant in our generosity. Excessive love will always result in extravagant generosity. The unreasonable story of God's love for us is built around generosity. Think about what God did. God loved and he gave. He gave his only son. He gave, he gave, he gave, and he's still giving. And God is giving to us. He's loving us. And so the response for that from us shouldn't be generosity. Hear me. A generous Christian is not a Christian compelled by the love of Christ. I shouldn't be generous. I should be excitedly, just extravagantly, joyfully generous. 
My generosity should come from my feet. I mean, it should just, it should just come out of me. I should be looking for opportunities to be generous. If I'm just, oh, I gave, I just did my tithe, I just, you know. Is that the response to this story? To this unreasonable story of love? No, it is a heartfelt generosity. 2 Corinthians 8 Verse 1, it says, we want you to know, brothers, I love this story. Paul uses this example of Christians in his time. He says, he says, I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. You see, giving generosity is a grace. It's a gift. And some of you have the gift of generosity. You need to let that gift out. It says, for in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave, listen, according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. Why? Of their own accord. No one forced them. No one pressured them. There's another verse, Paul, like he tried to let them off the hook. He was like, no, 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 no. You guys are really going through it right now. The economy's down. You don't need to give so much. You don't need to do this. This is a strain on you. This is going to be a strain on your families. Listen to verse 4. Begging us, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Man, the church in Macedonia, they begged. Paul said, no, you don't need... Times are tight, and they said, no, please let us give. We love the believers. We love these other churches. We want to be a part of it. Don't, don't, don't take this away from us. I want to be a part of doing something to help these other churches. When I was younger at a, another church, there was this young kid. His name was Micah. And I've never met a kid like this. He, he was probably nine years old. 10 years old, something like that. He was a little kid. And I was doing a project for this guy. He owned a trucking company. And this kid, Micah, when other kids are watching cartoons and playing video games, this kid would come in the house. I am not kidding you. He would come in the house and he would beg. He would beg his parents to let him work. Please, Daddy. I remember he has a southern, it's just his voice cracked me up. But he would come in and he would go, please, Daddy, let me cut the grass. Please, Daddy, let me change the oil on the truck. Please, Daddy. He didn't want to play. He didn't want to play video games. He wanted to work. I thought, my goodness, there's something special about this kid. Listen, Randy McCurry knows him now. Listen, he's a multimillionaire. Owns a big company, multimillionaire. Because, man, that desire to work to put his hands to something. Man, it just came. I, he begged, please, listen, as Christians, that's how our lives should look. God, please let me serve in your house. God, please let me be generous. God, I want to be a part of this. Man, don't, don't, man, when, when is, is the church open tomorrow? No. Can, can you open it early? I just, I want to come. I want to pray. I want to serve. Is there something I can do? Right? Because that's our heart. That's an unreasonable response to an unreasonable story. To an unreasonable God who loves us an unreasonable amount. When you are convinced about the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection, your generosity will become extravagant. It will become extravagant. You'll look for people to bless. There'll be people at your job and then, man, I just really... 
And, and you'll sneak a little envelope in there. You'll do things and you don't want anybody to know, but you do it because you love them and you know God loves them. And that love, it's just like there's this pressure in you that if you don't let it out, you're going to just pop. Because I've just got this love and I've got to do something with it. I've got to be unreasonable. I've got to live unreasonably. What an amazing opportunity we get as a church to be extravagant in our generosity today. What an amazing honor to be called a kingdom builder. What a title. <laughs> I never heard it growing up in church. We never had titles like that. I'm like, I get to be a kingdom builder? Man, that's awesome. That's incredible. And so our heart should respond to that. Would you stand on your feet with me today? I want to give you an opportunity to commit to God to be unreasonable this Christmas season. I want to give you an opportunity today to respond to this unreasonable story of love. I want you to have an opportunity today. And I'm not going to beg you because, man, if you don't want it by now, I don't know what to tell you. If you don't want a part, if you don't want a part of what God is doing, man, you're missing out. You're missing out. It is the best life. It is the best Life, there's nothing like serving God. And I want to ask you just for a moment to close your eyes. Just right where you're standing, just close your eyes, bow your head for a moment. I want you to think about how unreasonable is your love for God. How, how about your love for others? Are you extreme in your fight against sin? Are you pursuing Jesus, pressing into the mold? Are you more like Jesus today than you were yesterday? Are you extravagant in your generosity? It all boils down to this. Does the love of God control you? Does it compel you? Has it left you no choice? And I don't know about you, but it's left me no choice. Man, if you're here today, if you're watching online, if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior right now, nobody's looking around. This is a moment between you and God. But if that's you and you say, man, I want in on this. I want to receive this love. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to know that I'm going to be victorious, that I'm going to heaven one day. Man, if that's you today, man, just raise your hand up right now. Raise it up. Amen. I see those hands. Just raise your hand up high. Man, we're going to pray for you. We're going to pray with you. If you're online, click the button in the chat. We have people that will pray with you as well. And we're going to pray this prayer together. And we're also going to pray that God would unlock an unreasonable spirit in us this Christmas season. Amen? Church, let's pray. Father God, thank you for an unreasonable story. That you loved me an unreasonable amount. You sent Jesus. You destroyed sin. You saved me. You've changed me. I invite you into my heart. I give you everything. I make the decision. I'm not going to be on the fence. I believe. I commit. Right now, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Let it just burst out of me, God. Rivers of living water flow out of my heart. And I will never be the same. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House 
and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message. Thank you.